Okay, so look, um, I'm going to get right into this. I want to talk about a lot of things, actually, but the first thing I want to talk about is the Criterion Channel. Um, you know, I've talked about it in the past. Some of the films that I've discussed here, I've seen them on the Criterion Channel, and in some cases, it's the only place you can see them. Now, if you go back at all any amount of time with Criterion, you know that the Criterion Collection, which is their library of home video releases, you know that's like, you know, top line. That's that's no slouch, right? I go all the way back to the days of Laserdisc having, uh, how many Criterion editions did I have? I didn't have a lot. Then again, I didn't have a lot of Laserdiscs, but I had at least a handful, you know? The thing I remember is that they were so expensive. I mean, really, the price point, it's pretty high compared to any other, uh, any other release that you would find. You move into the days of DVD, same kind of deal. Um, it was a little more accessible because just DVDs were a little easier to deal with and a little easier to find. And then, of course, Blu-ray, and nowadays they got 4K discs that are coming out. So... The addition of the Criterion Channel, which is their online streaming service, I got to say, you know, at first I thought, well, oh, well, they'll just put the titles that they've released on disc, they'll put those up there. And at least I can go there and watch them at any time I like. I don't necessarily have to buy them and then just have them around. You know, because look, some films that they have in the library... Uh, whether they're foreign films or older films, uh, some of them, it's not really my cup of tea, you know? And that's not to say that I need them to bring back The Rock or uh, Armageddon. Like, you can forget those. I'm good. I like stuff that is a little more known, a little more higher profile, but I don't need blockbusters, of course. I don't need... Uh, mainstream studio, you know, major releases. So anyway, um, I'm on the Criterion channel the other day. Aside from having the titles that are on disc, they also have these other collections and they have films, they have short films. And one of the collections they had up there was a collection of films by James Gray. So it's a very specific set of his earlier films. And I got to admit, I wasn't entirely familiar with his work. You know, the only film that I could call to mind right away that I had seen was uh, Ad Astra from 2019, I think it was. And that film on its own, like I actually went back to revisit that maybe about a month ago. And the main thing was, I was looking for something that was science fiction, something that was well done, and yet um, something that I didn't really have a handle on completely. So I went back to watch that again, and it reminded me, like the day that I saw it in the theater, I really didn't know how to feel about it. And I just mean like it's tackling some deep kind of emotional, psychological issues with this main character is played by Brad Pitt. He's an astronaut. He's sent on a mission to, I think it's like Neptune or somewhere 
to find his father, who was believed to be dead, but may not be. But there's also this other phenomenon, the, the situation that's going on, that he's got to get some answers for the, the government, the whatever, for Earth, right? And it's kind of playing on different levels. In some ways, it is really spectacular in terms of the visual effects, the whole space travel element of it all. Uh, but on the other hand, it's quiet. It's kind of mesmerizing in a way. It takes his time. It's patient because we're following this character who has made a life out of keeping his cool. And yet as the film goes on, he slowly starts to kind of unravel. You know, it's an emotional journey also, much less a journey through space. So, you know, revisiting it, I found that I actually liked it even more. Like, I, I think some things resonated with me a little bit better than the first viewing. And really thinking about that kind of film and then from this director, I said, well, wait a minute. Like, what are these films that are in the Criterion channel that James Gray did? Uh, based around or related to New York. And I said, well, surely they're not like science fiction. They're not this kind of film, or I assume that. So I said, all right, let me dig into this a little bit because, you know, for all I knew about Ad Astra, I, I just assumed that this is the type of film that he makes. Well, it turns out, I guess, that that is maybe a, it, that's an evolution of the types of stories he's telling. So he's branching out into other genres, other, uh, let's say, levels of production. You know, the earlier films that I, I, I want to get into here, they are smaller films. They're obviously independent films. They look like, you know, there's not a lot that's being worked with kind of set to one location or, or one specific area. Not a lot of, not a big, big cast in them. But I think the important thing is the stories and the themes that are being tackled, you know? So I went back. I said, all right, let me check these films out. So I started with Little Odessa, which came out in 1994. And I remember this coming out because I remember thinking like, oh, Tim Roth, in that point in time, like early 90s, I mean, he was in Reservoir Dogs. And I think then you turn around, he's in Pulp Fiction the same year, 1994. And he's only in the scene at the beginning and the scene at the end, right? But then there's a couple of other films in this period where I feel like, oh, okay, this guy is kind of making his way around and he's doing some things. So I remember this coming out, and on top of that, it also has Edward Furlong, who, you know, just a few years earlier was in Terminator 2, and so then he's in smaller films like this, and you gotta wonder, like, okay, well, what what's going on? Like, there's something about this movie that must be important, it must be relevant to something. But, you know, at that time, I gotta be honest, I mean, for me, I would have been not quite... 20 years old, you know, I was still young. And I, I was like, no, nah, I, I don't want to see movies like this. I want to see maybe a little more flashy, a little more action oriented type of stuff. So now coming back to it, or rather finally watching it, uh, what are we looking at? 30 years later, I think maybe in a, in a strange way, that's the right move because I can appreciate it now 
Like knowing myself in 1994, I appreciate this movie now more than I ever could have back then. And mostly because I'm a father, I've lived life, I've gone through my own things, dealing with family, dealing with relationships, all that kind of stuff. And in 1994, there's no way I would have been able to really understand everything that all these characters are going through. You know, whether you've got Tim Roth and his character, basically a criminal, a, a killer, who's returning home, kind of finding his way back into the mix. But yet his family, his parents, and his younger brother, they they kind of, they don't want much to do with him. You know, they know he's up to no good. He's, it's just trouble. And so they're kind of staying at arm's length. I think you, the tension of that is very much a part of the story. But also the dynamic between the the father and the mother, they're at different points in life. You know, the father is kind of hard-nosed, kind of uh, stubborn. And the mother is dealing with illness. And the younger brother is kind of caught in between all of these things. And in some ways, wants to acknowledge and maybe even get a taste of what's going on with Big Brother, you know? But it's a bad road. And so all of these things, like these things of like getting caught up in the wrong element with the wrong people at the wrong time, all that kind of stuff. Your family ends up getting just stuck in the crossfire. And, you know, that's a story that could probably be told at any point in time about any specific character or, or community, you know. But this film, I looking at it now, it feels like it really captures a very specific moment in time in the 90s, in New York. And I thought it was an interesting time capsule in that respect. On the other hand, um, watching The Yards, which comes out in 2000, and several years later we're talking now, but it also kind of works in the same way. It's capturing that moment in time, right at the turn of the turn of the century, let's say. And it's got Mark Wahlberg, coming home. He did a bid. He's coming back, trying to integrate back into life, into society, trying to find a job, something to do, kind of get himself straight, you know? And meanwhile, Joaquin Phoenix, he plays Willie. And it's a little bit of a strange turn here. He's playing Latino, which, you know, for the way the character is depicted, um, it starts to kind of lean a little towards some stereotype stuff, you know? I mean, he's kind of unreasonably hot-headed and impulsive and unnecessarily dangerous in some ways, you know? I, it, it's not full-on, like, caricature, but it's kind of like, uh, I don't know why you had to be Latino, put it that way. But in between them, you have Charlize Theron, who's playing a character that is that has a past with one of them and has supposedly has a future with the other one. And, you know, the thing there is that character now, I feel like, feels more like a source of conflict for these two main characters. But I think her character represents the, the people that, got, that, that get caught up in all of this. You know, there's... I got to say, I mean... 
it's a very different look, not only the type of character, but even just like her appearance, it's a very different look for Charlize Theron. It, it took me a second to really confirm, like, that is her, right? But there's a, there's a tragedy, there's like a, 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 lo- a sense of being lost to her character that I think is meant to represent like the people that are around these people in these situations that are catching all the strays that are falling through the cracks of these other, you know, these two characters, their, their situation, it ripples outwards to everybody around them. Right. She, the, the parents, the, the mother, the aunt, you know, they're all catching uh flack from what Willie is doing because he's really doing some sketchy things. And Leo, who just is kind of going with it until he realizes, oh, wait, he's about to catch one himself. So he has to kind of find his way out of it. And it's a similar type of story as little Odessa. It's really capturing that moment in time and also dealing with people like all these characters get caught up in the mix. And so in that sense, I I mean, it's an interesting story. It's a story I didn't necessarily, I never thought about. You know, I mean, it was a look into a life or a part of living in a in a in New York, maybe that people don't really see. The third film here, it's funny, it reunites Joaquin Phoenix and Mark Wahlberg. It's called We Own the Night, and this one, like right from the jump, from the opening credits, it sets a, a very different tone. Like it's all about police and the element of crime in New York is, is really dialing in very specific. And you got Joaquin Phoenix. He plays Bobby. He kind of runs this club. He's a little bit of a fast mover, fast talker. He's wheeling and dealing little bitty things here on the side. And some of it's not quite up and up. And his brother, this time they are brothers. Mark Wahlberg is a cop. And he's investigating some of the people that Bobby's dealing with, right? So you've already got like an interesting kind of dramatic conflict there. And then their father, Robert Duvall, he's uh, kind of a more senior cop. I don't remember if he's like a captain or somebody that's above everything. And he's trying to, you know, keep his sons in line, keep them in check and keep them working together. But... Everything gets crossways at some point, and you have to think like, oh, wait, one of these guys is going to get in a bad way, right? And it turns out it's Joe. It's the cop. Mark Wahlberg, I mean, he he gets shot at some point, and he kind of gets taken out of the picture a little bit. And Bobby's the one that has to step up and kind of turn on his whole lifestyle. You know, the the, the people that he knows, the things that he's involved with, he has to... Kind of, you know, kind of rat on some people or, or or be an informer in a way. And that's where most of the conflict kind of comes from is him deciding, like, where do I draw a line and where do I put myself at risk? And I think this is maybe a more interesting dynamic than than the yards, I guess, because I think the yards, it doesn't really align these two characters or these two actors as being on the same side. They're already kind of like at different ends of the spectrum uh, of, of terms of where they're going in life. And we on the night, I feel like they're a little more of a pair. They're a little more like 
they're re- they're more related, put it that way. And you get a sense like they both have the same understanding of what is right, what's wrong, the things they're supposed to do. One just chose to go left and the other one chose to go right, but they're still moving in the same direction. And it's only when things get dicey, it's like, well, one of them's got to kind of double back and try and make good on 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 his ambitions to to do something or be something. He's got to basically pivot and and make some changes. And um, I got to say, I mean, there's a couple of things about the film that I thought were remarkable, at least as I was watching it. You know, you get a lot of sense of like the, the culture, the there's a lot of music that is very specific to that time. The style of it. I mean, that's, look, one thing in this film, Eva Mendez is in this and she doesn't really have a very crucial role in it. Although there are a couple moments, I guess, but I think her addition to this is she brings a lot of style to this film. And in the sense that without a character like her in the film, I feel like it could just be a bunch of guys talking. And that, I mean, that can work in some ways, but here it it adds a different layer to it. It gives it a different context. And it feels a little more rounded, put it that way. The other thing is this film has some interesting sequences, some set pieces that I didn't really see coming. And one of them is there's a car chase where I saw in an interview, James Gray himself said that it was kind of inspired by or done in homage to The French Connection, which is a film that this really does try to line up next to, you know, like in terms of tone, in terms of some of the styles, some of the, um, even just some of the locations. I feel like this is really, it's trying to live in that same lane, you know? The thing I found fascinating though, look, the the thing that really got me was this is a car chase that takes place during the day in the rain. You've got multiple cars involved. And when I saw some of the behind the scenes footage of this, There was no rain. The weather was not the way you see it in the film. And it completely like floored me to think this was all done afterward. Some visual effects or or whatever, just the, the magic of filmmaking. All of a sudden, this is a car chase set in the rain, which, of course, ups the stakes. It's inherently more dangerous, right? But just to think like, that's not even the way they filmed it. I it, it's 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 wild, you know, because it's one of the things I think I've said in a previous episode. Like I've always wanted to see a film really do a full on car chase action scene in the rain, only because I mean, one I think it would look amazing, but also because it is just insanely complicated to just do any car chase any kind of action in a car, but in the rain with actual, you know, elements going on, it, it is more dangerous. So, you know, I thought Inception really kind of knocked that out at one point. And then was a couple of years ago, uh, the Batman, and it was like not only in the rain, but also at night. And here I, I just never knew like this film tried to at least 
depicted. I mean, it wasn't filmed actually that way, which was probably just out of safety, out of caution, I understand. But the idea of it is like, oh, yes, somebody did try to do it. And it's it's pretty convincing, I got to say. So um, this one, I think, has is standing out above the others at this point. I mean, the, the only other film I saw in this collection was uh, Two Lovers. And that's why Keen Phoenix, again, he's kind of our main character. He's Leonard. He's an awkward guy. The first scene of the film, we see him jump off a pier and immediately sets the tone of like, eh, something's, something's not right with this guy, you know? Throughout the course of the film, we learn, well, he's living with his parents. He had some issues with a fiance at some point. That didn't work out. Uh, he's just kind of down on his luck. He's having a hard time in life. Well, he meets Sandra, who is, uh, I guess, basically like a family friend. Family's dealing with another family, and, and they kind of run into each other, meet each other, take an interest. And then Michelle is a neighbor that moves in across the street, but she's got some trouble. She's got some issues, you know? And this character, kind of watching him go through, one, go through the motions of trying to put some things in his past behind him, but still dealing with that kind of out in the open and trying to find, you know, trying to navigate these two different, very different relationships with these women and not really being able to see like which way he, he needs to go or which way he wants to go. Um, it's an interesting exercise. I mean, you know, I'm sure it, uh, there's an element of this that is very relevant for a lot of people. You know, you're in different relationships throughout life. Maybe they don't happen at the same time like this, but you can find yourself pulled in different directions. Now, the thing with this film, of course, is that, I mean, you're setting up this character to have Vanessa Shaw on one side and Gwyneth Paltrow on the other side. And does life really work out that way? I guess one could only hope, huh? But uh, the idea is that he's got two very compelling paths in life ahead of him. And does he make the right choice? Mm. Remember, he's not necessarily well-adjusted himself. So, I mean, to me, uh, part of the film is frustratingly watch this character kind of go the wrong way. Because you think, well, look, I mean... If you've been through life, you've been in relationships, you've had to deal with adversity or whatever, hopefully you learn from those things, you grow. And if you're faced with a situation like this, right, it's like you would be reasonable about it. You would be thoughtful about it. But that's not everybody. I understand. So to me, you know, it's a little bit of me kind of judging Leonard here of like, hey, um, my guy, what are you doing? That's clearly not the way you need to go. Go this other way. And ultimately, the film kind of resolves itself and it makes good on the hope that Leonard's going to be all right. But the journey there, it it takes some twists and turns. And 
for that alone, I mean, I feel like if this would have been maybe a, a more realistic situation with a more reasonable uh, protagonist, well, this movie would have been over in like 30 minutes. So I get it. There's there's a need for some decisions that have to be made, some moral choices and all that. Cool. I got you. But for me, I just felt like, mm, I, 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 I kind of, I kind of knew where things should have gone in the first place. But overall, look, with these films, I think We on the Night is the one that kind of stands out to me as being a, a little bit above the rest. And Part of it is because it's got a certain style. It's got a certain um, energy to it. But also, I think the characters and the situation, and especially the element of, like, the the police community, you know, that kind of, um, you get a sense of it. You know, throughout the movie, you're meeting all these characters that, aside from, like, the leads, like, the main cast, like, everybody else is, like, like they look like, the people that would have been there in that period and even some of the locations and, and, you know, everything around that, it feels legit. Just like the other films, just like little Odessa and the yards, which those are time capsules of that time when they were made. This one actually, to me, to my eyes, you know, it feels like a pretty realistic, somewhat authentic time capsule of that period in that city. So I'm down with it. I liked it. I'm interested to see what other films James Gray has done because not only did I watch these films, but on Criterion Channel, in this collection, there is a like a kind of a sit-down interview with him where he does go over some of his thoughts on filmmaking and inspiration, like films that inspired him, um, some of the elements of either New York or his family or his life, you know, life experiences that he's worked into some of these earlier films. You know, in the years since then, since what, the Two Lovers was in 2008, uh, he's done at least a few others. There was Ad Astra, of course. Uh, let's see, I'm looking here. The Immigrant, which is in this collection, uh, but I didn't see it. I, I didn't want to sit down and watch it because I felt like just reading the the description of it, I felt like uh, it's a little outside of this group because it takes place, I think, in like the the 20s in New York. So you got the immigrant that's a little after that. You've got the lost city of Z, which I remember hearing about, um, but I wasn't quite sure what that was, you know, I, I guess because I think it's based on a book. And I guess if you don't know what that is, the, the film itself, even watching the trailer, I'm not really sure what I'm watching. Like, is this an adventure film? Is this a drama? Is it, is is this somehow based on history? You know, it feels a little bit like I'm not quite sure what I'm getting into. Uh, and then just, well, I think last year, the year before, he did uh, Armageddon Time with Anthony Hopkins. And I, I remember that being talked about a little bit, especially like around award season. So that's one that, I, you know, I've got on my list at some point. I think I'm going to, um, I if I do watch those others, I'll probably find some other group or some other episode to put them in at some point. Um, but I, I really wanted to talk about these because I thought these are interesting looks at how a filmmaker 
and I mean, pick your favorite filmmaker, most likely at some point in their career, they kind of stake out a corner and they work that corner, you know, they, they find all the, the angles, they find all the stories that they can, they, they mine it for all the good material. I think these three or these four films, I think it's showing like James Gray and his ideas and the themes that he's exploring, how, you know, they all kind of relate to each other, even though they're very different stories, uh, very different characters in some ways. And yet, because of, let's say, the setting, I think that at least kind of holds them together. So... I mean, I like the idea of this being a group or a collection. Um, so good on Criterion Channel for doing that. But also, I, I like seeing how filmmakers, how storytellers, how how artists, they really, you know, work a very specific idea in different ways. You know, whether it's Steven Spielberg or Christopher Nolan or, you know, anybody really. If you look close enough, if you if you kind of boil them down enough, you can see like a, a thread run throughout, if not all of their films, a, a group of their films. Even Tarantino, who seems like he kind of does something different every time, there there's a little bit of that like remix sensibility to all of his films, right? He's pulling from different genres. He's throwing these weird situations at weird characters. And then it's all a test of like moral decision making and... Uh, the consequences of all that, right? That's very general, but that is kind of where those films live. And so I, I really like this set. I like approaching it this way. I don't want to just necessarily run down someone's filmography. I like seeing things that are somewhat related to each other. So anyway, shout out to James Gray for the work he's doing. I like these films. Um, and I'm interested to see if he ever returns to this kind of thing. I, I think, if I remember right, I think Armageddon time might be a little bit of that. But um, uh, I will just kind of keep an eye on it. So that's it for me for this episode. If you're new to this, if you're just checking this out, I probably should have said this at the top, I guess, huh? But thanks for listening. My name is Rob. This is Filmstreak. I watch movies that are new to me, and sometimes they're very old. You can go to filmstreak.com. There's a list there that is every film I've talked about here on in all these episodes. And that way you can find out where to stream them, where to see them in theaters if they're in the theater. You can rate them, add them to your own watch list, get into this hole I'm in. I'm at around 1,300 films at this point. I, that's how many I still got to go. And those are the ones I know about. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, I'll talk about it again in a future episode, but coming soon, uh, I'm recording this in February of 2024. In March, we've got another Houston Latino Film Festival coming up. And I've got a special episode coming up soon, I think. But regardless, if you listen to this and you're in the Houston area, if you're in Texas even, make it out to the festival. This is really going to be, I think, from from what I've seen so far, talking to the gang there, this is going to be the biggest and best festival yet. I mean, this is the, uh, what are we talking about, eighth year? But if you are interested in film festivals at all, if you've never been to a film festival, this is a great one to check out. 
because look, it, they haven't even hit the 10 year mark yet. You're getting in while it's still early, while it's still young, and you're getting to see things with no pressure. And like I've said in past episodes, I did a couple of episodes last year at the festival. It's one of those types of events, one of those types of spaces where everybody's cool, everybody's chill, and you can just come hang out, see some films, talk about some films, and get a sense of the culture, you know? So anyway, that's me. Uh, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Go watch something new. <laughs>